Hi there, and welcome to the Booth Podcast. I shook it up today. We're going new intro. Holy. I don't know what's happening today. I'm feeling wild. Yeah, I don't know what that was. That was scary. This is the Booth Local Sports Show. As always, I'm Reese Shonsby. With me is Davey O'Doyle. How's it going today, Dave? Uh, I just had like a wild little time in my own right where I just had like this power nap I never usually have. So I'm kind of feeling like refreshed, but still kind of woozy from it. Um, I guess we're going to talk about college football later. LSU got absolutely routed in their bowl game. <laughs> like the, the Dallas, the, the Texas bowl or whatever it was, yeah. but Hey man, we're, we're just waiting for Brian Kelly next season in two years. We'll be back strong. There you just go. gotta there forget you go. about that one. Hey, SEC is dominant right now, so you're in the right division. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> but before we get into some college football, this is the local sports show. Let's talk CFL like we always do. Last week, we missed out on chatting about a couple of riders signings for the free agency period here. The Before we get into free agency, guys who are pending free agents. Um, started with a couple big O-line names. Uh, big O-line names in Saskatchewan. I wouldn't say they're household league name yet but uh logan furland and evan johnson two saskatchewan boys re-signing with the riders good to see there yeah like i mean you really like to see those signings a because both those guys got a lot of a lot of time playing playing the last season you know what i mean at the inside of our line there and in a league that's still in the cfl where you need canadian players on the field you need the ratio you need depth it's good to have those guys under contract Sure is. And then a couple other staples, too, from last year. Guy Keenan LaFrance running back got a lot more time than I thought he would last year. Um, and long snapper Jorgen Hughes, always good to see that, too. Yeah. I mean, hey, like, primarily those guys, especially <laughs> Jorgen being a long snapper, but, like, you need guys on special teams, guys who are reliable, and both of those guys are reliable at their jobs. So, I mean, you love to see it still. Then we have the two major signings for the Riders so far to uh, DB Nick Marshall. Didn't have his greatest year, but has always been a staple. He's the Riders all-time leader in pick sixes, so it's good to have that guy back. Yeah. And the staple from that defense last year, linebacker Micah Tights. Yeah. Um, those are ones that are for sure, when you look at compared to these other signings, guys who are more, more noticeable impact players especially on that defense that we like to break so much about. Um, so you'd hope to see that this was tight's breakout season. You hope to see it again, big tackles, you know, um, a consistent spot at the will linebacker we'd like to see. And then of course, Nick Marshall being hopefully the first of many signings in that secondary, but he's for, for all the problems he has tackling, you can't deny that he makes a lot of plays in that back end. Right. So we like to see him back in green for another year. Definitely do. That's been the rider signing so far. I believe that was one, two, three, four, five, six, which leaves them with 44 pending free agents. Now still always to go. I'm just wondering what that secondary is going to look like. If they're going to try to skew younger or if they're going to bring the guys they know back. Well, that, that was my thought. I was thinking with that secondary, if there's anybody to let go, Mm -hmm. it's Nick Marshall. Right. I felt like that he had the not great year for him. He'd had better years in the past and everybody else on the, in that secondary seemed to have a really good year. 
other than him. So kind of felt like maybe he'll get thrown to the wayside and we'll bring those other guys back who are staples, but he was the first one signed out of that secondary. Which makes me wonder if maybe we are just going to bring the whole gang back, right? Because Purefoy had a good year in his own right. Uh, Ed Ganey in the biggest spot usually makes some plays. Like we saw those two picks in the game, in the, in the playoffs, right? Like, so it makes me wonder if maybe it is just only, we're only going to upgrade where we feel like we really need it instead of trying to skew younger and go for that great cup this year before we start to do the semi rebuild. If age is a problem, right? Exactly. You really want to keep that core group of guys and rebuild that O line. Yeah. Um, a couple other key signings around the league have happened in the past few days. Uh, notably today, I believe we are recording this on Thursday, January 6th. Uh, Reggie Bagleton resigned in Calgary and Jamarcus Hardwick resigned in Winnipeg. Right. The Hardwick one's big for Winnipeg too. Yeah. Being such a big, big piece of that O line, being an O line that is absolutely dominated and led to two great cups now, right? Bagleton will be good, don't get me wrong, but Hardrick's the one that stands over the most, too. Definitely. Moving out east in the CFL, Montreal Alouettes are making a bit of a splash in their staff signings. Uh, started out with signing former Riders GM Brendan Tamman to a senior player personnel executive role. Good to Whatever see Brendan back Whatever in the league. Whatever that actually means. Whatever it means. I'm just happy to see Brendan back in yeah. the league. Big part of building that super team we had in 13. And Yeah, guys. Guys, a lot of experience in this league, right? So. Yeah. Uh, and then I think the biggest one for everybody was the signing of former Montreal Alouettes great Anthony Calvillo to their quarterback coach position that's one that makes like, it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. You, it's interesting that he just comes off of like a Vanier cup win and then decides to, or I guess it wasn't the Vanier cup win. It was the, they made it to the final four anyways. Yeah. And then, but leave his post there to come back to the team that he played for, for so long. Right. makes complete sense. I just wouldn't have expected it, but you can't ask for a better guy to coach up your quarterback so then the most successful quarterback in history of the CFL. Yeah, definitely. Then came the little bit of a shock today when former Ticats special teams coordinator, Jeff Reinbold, who had recently just left his position with the Ticats has agreed to come to Montreal in an undisclosed role. We, we don't know what that role is. I assume that'll be announced in the next coming days. This is just really early news to us right now. You'd assume because he's been a special teams guy that it'd be something to do with special teams. But like I said, we don't know. He's been with Hamilton for so long. We don't know if it was just he felt time to move on or why he chose Montreal or why he left in the first place. We'll have to see if anything comes out about that. Yeah, interesting. But Montreal definitely making a splash in the – staff area and the coaches and and the executives had some interesting news come out i get we we see chris jones here in edmonton kind of starting to shape up his staff and get asked questions about uh different 
things that happened when he was in the CFL formerly, including him signing Cody Fajardo and Cody Fajardo's performance over the past two seasons as a starter. Chris Jones said he believes Fajardo is a winner, but he's not a passer. Which is like, it's an interesting statement because you think Chris Jones more than most guys would appreciate just winning. You know what I mean? He doesn't seem like the guy to be like, he's the defensive minded, like my way or the highway kind of guy. You don't think him looking for a pure dominant passer would be his route. But like, it's an interesting comment when you look at the last couple of years for Cody Fajardo, because especially in his first season as a starter, he was really good. Yeah. And at points, and at points last season, he was as well. But I mean, it seems like maybe Chris Jones watched that kind of downswing of the riders where all of our receivers were in flux and Cody wasn't playing so well. It seems like maybe he just watched that and he assumed like, oh, that's how Fajardo is. But I don't know. I don't understand the comments, too, because the comments were regarding specifically that that Elks had just hired Steve McAdoo as their offensive coordinator. McAdoo was the OC in Saskatchewan for Cody's first year as a starter in 2019. And to say Cody wasn't a passer that year when he was a West MLP nominee, his stats that year were 4,302 passing yards, 18 touchdowns, eight picks, a 71 completion percentage. Yeah, 71% especially. Yeah. Hey, man, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Chris, then he adds on this past season – uh, 2,970 yards, 14 touchdowns, 11 picks with a 69% completion percentage. This averages per game for Cody, 266 yards, one touchdown, and about 0.6 interceptions per game. The math doesn't work out perfect on that one. But that's not jumping off the page passing stats, but it is solid passing stats. Like I said, he has he didn't have the greatest year in the last season. What no. give you that? But like, unless he sees something mechanically when he's looking that Cody has regressed that he doesn't think he can fix, it just seems like a weird comment. Like, I mean, poking the bear, right? You kind of hope that he gives him one of those Joe Burrow, Wick Bartondale cases when when we see Edmonton next year and passes all over him now, right? Yeah, Chris Jones was also the one, yes, who signed Cody to Saskatchewan's roster before he left to take the position with the Browns. Yeah. It, it feels like weird comments coming from Chris Jones. And I don't know. I'm glad he's definitely a winner. Fajardo's a winner. He's been to the West final in both his seasons as a starter. So a hundred percent, he's a winner. I mean, it's just, I, it's, it's interesting too, that unless something changes, like it's not even like Chris Jones right now has a guy that he can flaunt in our face. Like we don't know how good Nick Arbuckle actually is. Right. No, definitely not. So, yeah, just, I mean, whatever. I'm not going to take offense to it. It's just strange. Yeah, definitely. That kind of wraps up the CFL news for this past week. Last week, too, uh, before we previewed the semifinal college football games, we hyped up the World Juniors. We were so excited for these (laughs) fucking World Juniors. And then they get canceled. Due to COVID concerns, um, unfortunate for all those guys, it 
just really unfortunate. We were all looking forward to watching some junior hockey. It's it's one of those things for me where like I find it really weird. A that they started it all. Yeah. I mean, you can't predict like the spike, but you could see the new variants were coming. So you, what A you started it at all, and B like you were fine having the World Juniors last year with a zero percent vaccination rate because nobody had vaccines yet. Yeah. But you forced mandatory hundred percent vaccination rates this year, and then you decide to still not play the games. It's like, odd. I, I, I understand the safety concern of it, but it's just yeah. like when you look at the logistics, it's weird, right? It is weird. It's definitely weird. Um, yeah. It did lead to some interesting off the ice situations, though. Did you hear this story about Team Russia heading home? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> let's let's go. Team it. Russia gets on their plane for their okay. flight to. I can't remember where they were going. Um, flight gets delayed for three hours. Okay. And the Russian players repeatedly ignoring the flight attendants about wearing masks and everything. They're sneaky trying to light cigarettes in the back of the plane and oh just being overall terrible human beings. This is why they canceled the World Juniors. <laughs> Russians, God damn it. I just, I saw the story and I'm like, what else? Do you, like, they just got their tournament canceled. They came to Canada for what? Like, seven days? Like, yeah. oh. I I feel for him, but come on, guys. Just yeah, you need three more hours and go do what you want, right? Like, jeez, yeah. But I believe that wraps us up in the world of local sports. We can now get to the main attraction of this episode, and that is the college football national championship. We got Georgia, we got Alabama. It's the SEC again. Let's do it. It's one of those, one of these things where like you, you have to play the playoff and like, Hey man, I'm not saying the playoff is bad, but like, it's one of those years where you look and you're like, yeah, the two favorite teams all year, the best two teams, of course they meet up. No, no upsets, no nothing like that. Right. Just best versus best. Right. Exactly. I mean, we said it, we only ever, we said it last week, we only ever get one good playoff game. Well, this year we got none. None, yeah. But we did end up with the two best teams in the national championship, like it should be. So I mean, we, when you talk about best game, probably the best game was the next day, that Rose Bowl game. Oh. Was Utah and Ohio State. Yeah. That was an absolute barn burner till the end, till C.J. Stroud. Just apps in the just slinging it all around the field. That was crazy. Amazing game. Amazing game. So when it comes to the semifinals, I mean, you hear it now again. It's the SEC. The SEC is dominant. People hate it, but what can you say? They attract the most players. They attract the five-star recruits. They they are the elite conference, and it's almost not good for college football, but it's the way it is right now. I thought, I mean, you can dive into the SEC all you want because they have where football is king. They get the best players, right? I found what was interesting about this semifinals compared to, and mostly like the perception of college football is 
like defense is pretty relevant for a lot of it, right? You see, like you said, like the Rose Bowl game, you see these four, 50 something to 40 something games, things like that. But this playoff, all, all four of those teams went in there and had maybe Alabama's the only exception that didn't ride on the back of defense, but those other three certainly did. Yeah. And these games were literally the best defense won those games. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the best offense. It was Michigan got stifled by Georgia's defense. That's been stifling everybody all year. And the Cincinnati defense played really well considering yeah. against Alabama, but that Alabama defense and Will Anderson gave Cincinnati nothing, right? It was completely defensive the whole time. And it's really interesting to see that in college football. Yeah, definitely. So let's dive in for to the first of the two games, which was Alabama and Cincinnati. The final score in that one, Alabama 27, Cincinnati 6. Really doesn't look good. But I don't think after watching that game, Cincinnati was – they didn't get embarrassed. They played no. good especially when you say they're playing Alabama. The thing was like, like it was weird because they were never really out of it. It was kind of just a classic Alabama game where it doesn't seem like it's that bad. But when you look, you see the store, the score slowly starting to run away. Right. Cause that let's, let's give credit where it's due. That Cincinnati defense played their tails off. They played really well. It took until the fourth quarter for Alabama to really secure it till after half. Right. It's just Desmond Ritter and the Cincinnati offense literally couldn't move the ball at all, right? That's where the big difference of that game was. That was the weakest unit was the Cincinnati offense. Definitely. It shows the Alabama of it all that when one area of the team's down, others can step up. Bryce Young didn't have his best game of the season. He still threw three touchdowns, but he was only 17 to 28 for 181 yards and an interception as well. But then you see a guy like Brian Robinson step up and have 26 carries for 204 yards. Wow. Yeah, there's nothing else to say besides when you look at that game, um, because it was strength on strength, those receivers against those incredible Cincinnati cornerbacks, right? So where you have to take over is where you as an SEC power have the most leverage, and that's in the trenches, right? And they took advantage of that because that O-line pushed the Cincinnati defensive line around as much as they could and let Brian Robinson, who hasn't been a really huge factor for that Alabama offense this year, run wild for over 200 yards, right? That's where they took this game over. I think I said it last week. Alabama had three all-stars on their offense, and I said they were Bryce Young, um, who else did I say? Bryce Young, Jamison Williams, and John Mechie. Yeah. I didn't mention Brian Robinson's name once, and he proved yeah. me wrong. Or Evan Neal, right? Yeah. He's going into the draft this year on their O-line too, right? Yeah. And, yeah, like you said, for the Cincinnati offense, that was the weak point. You had Desmond Ritter, 17 of 32 for 141 yards. Uh, running back Jerome for 15 carries, 77 yards, not a bad day. And then at receiver, their leading receiver, Michael Young Jr., four receptions, 55 yards. Right. It's just, it's tough when you're playing guys, Alabama guys who are going, probably all those guys, a lot of them are going to go to the NFL, right? Yeah. Guys in the battle in the back end, Will Anderson up front, so on and so forth. It's just, it's tough to be, 
a non-power five team trying to run an offense against Alabama, right? Sure. I mean, I will, I will, I am going to give credit though to, especially to Sauce Gardner. I want Sauce Gardner because yeah. even so, he allowed what I think he was under twenty yards that yeah. whole game out to him, no touchdown still, and he's going to the draft now, and that helps his draft stock tremendously. That he dominated against Alabama too. Yeah. So if Sauce Gardner enters the draft and officially has played his last college football game. He did enter the draft this week. He did? Okay. Yeah. Then it is settled. Sauce Gardner, in his entire college football career, never allowed a touchdown. Right. And it's so interesting that the only thing that's going to hold that guy back is probably just the lack of playing power five schools yeah. because he's from Cincinnati. But like that guy, you can make an argument for that guy being one of the top defensive players, a top two or three corner in that draft, right? I wouldn't be surprised to see him go in the first round. I think he'll go in the first round for sure. Um, yeah, that game went about how we thought it would. Yeah. Honestly, I thought it might be more of a blow. I said on this podcast last week, there's one game that's always a blowout, and it's going to be this one. Cause it sure ain't going to be the next one. Oh boy. And Oh boy. Do I have to eat my words on that one? Cause we move on to our other semifinal game. The final score in that one, Georgia 35, Michigan 11. And it was never close. I think that's what was most surprising about watching that is that it looks like Michigan never got out of the gate. You mean you, you took it farther and picked them to win the national title, but me and Carve on the episode as well pick Michigan to win too, right? Yeah. When you look, I think this is – it doesn't seem like it, but when you actually look at a resume win for Kirby Smart, this one is one because let's be honest about this. Jim Harbaugh is a great coach. Definitely. That guy has coached in the NFL. He's won road playoff games. He's made it to a Super Bowl. That's a quality coach across from you, and you dominated him in every aspect of that game. For sure. I mean, yeah, that's the, Jim Harbaugh is a guy who this past week, it came up, may be tempted to go back to the NFL because that's how good he is. He's going to get offered another NFL job here before too long. I don't think he'll leave Michigan. I think he'll probably stick around, and, and he's grown that program over the last few years so much. I, I don't think he wants to leave I mean, that right this, now. This is this is going to kind of bleed over to the NFL, I guess, too. Yeah. We'll eventually talk about it. But I think he probably will leave, to be honest with you. You do? Okay. Yeah, it's just I don't think – I think that was the best chance he's going to get. Yeah. And he realizes, like, I can't compete with the SEC programs, and that's a big problem. He doesn't have the money. He doesn't have the name value. I think he's going to go back to the NFL. That's the top level. He has a lot of roots, I've heard, with the, the Las Vegas Raiders organization, and they're looking for a coach. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go there. That would be an interesting one. Rumors, too, yeah. have come out about Jim Harbaugh possibly going to Chicago if they mm-hmm. eventually do fire Matt Nagy. Right. I think that would be a good fit for him as well. Right. Interesting. But, I mean, let's get back to that game, though. The thing that I think I'm – I shouldn't be surprised because we watched the Georgia defense – absolutely maul people all playoff but I was drinking the Michigan sauce but it, when when you look at that game the guy who I really noticed jumped off the page besides that I like to watch linebackers but just how phenomenal the Kobe Dean is man playing middle linebacker for Georgia like there was a play where his assignment came from the other side of the formation all the way across to catch a swing pass 
still on the run in the backfield. Nicobe Dean follows him, tracks him, hits him for a loss, right? The guy has such, such speed, hits with such a, with a pounce, right? I can't believe how good that guy is. Just, it, it's that defense. It's the best defense in the country. Yep. Eight points on average per game. Just an absolute defensive dominant performance. But a guy I saw ball out in that game too was a guy whose job was in question heading into that game. Mm-hmm. And that was quarterback Stetson Bennett comes out and just balls out. Yeah, that's 20, 20 for 30 for 313 yards and three touchdowns. See, that's that's an interesting one where they did the same thing that Alabama did, right? Alabama, you wouldn't expect them to just dominate in the run game, but they did. And then Georgia's run game is where that offense has been cooking through, and they come out completely different and air the ball out crazy, right? Like they said, I think that true freshman tight end, Brock Bowers, was unbelievable in that game, just yards after catch, yards down the sideline, absolutely incredible. And Stenson Bennett had his way with the Michigan secondary. Definitely. On the defensive side, too, for Georgia, we talked about kind of the strength on strength last week, and it was that Georgia run defense that had allowed, what, two rushing touchdowns all season versus arguably the, the nation's top running back in Hassan Haskins, who had scored 20 touchdowns this season. Mm-hmm. And Hassan Haskins was stopped for nine carries for 39 yards and no touchdowns. 39 yards for a guy who's been that dominant in the league, right? Just wow. amazing. The George, We saw Georgia dominated. That was, I think if you played this game over a thousand times, Georgia would win it a thousand times. I think it was proved. There was no question. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, there, I could almost, both of these games, they were so decided, right? We said, we give Cincinnati credit because they they didn't get embarrassed they held their own but no matter what when you're getting pushed around on your line like that you don't have a chance and then when Michigan comes out and gets outclassed on defense so heavily and Stenson Bennett outclasses them on offense too there's like hey man there wasn't really a route for you to win that game because you just got worked right yeah exactly I think when we say Cincinnati did not get embarrassed Michigan got embarrassed yeah Michigan did get embarrassed especially because there was like us there was people picking them to win yep. the people who picked Cincinnati all said like oh this would be a cute great memory upset kind of thing right and like well it didn't happen but at least we know the next game is going to be good and it was not yeah yeah people were ready for that game to be one of the best college football playoff games we've ever had it was defense versus defense we were gonna have the uh, just a hard-nosed defensive battle and it was a blow win for Georgia bye-bye Michigan yep. but now we have our national championship these are two teams that know each other well yeah they met in that SEC title game right and yep. that was a game where Georgia came in riding high thinking that they were they were the dogs right yeah it was their day the Crimson Tide aren't what they used to be and Bryce Young absolutely blew them out of the water. My big question for this game now, for this game now that it's the national title game, is you don't have any new pieces in the Georgia secondary. 
That wasn't where Michigan was strong attacking, so you didn't get challenged. What do you actually do differently to stop it this time? I don't know what you do different. It's going to be interesting because they aren't playing the same guys. You, you don't have to play against John Mechie. That's sure. a that's a huge advantage for Georgia right there. Um, but you got to change something up. You lost in the SEC championship to Bama, forty-one to twenty-four. Right, forty. You let up forty-one points, and you hadn't let up. I think beyond what did they? I don't even know. Not a lot. They were averaging eight points a game. That was by far their biggest defeat. Um, and it's it's a common occurrence for this Georgia defense or for this Georgia team. Let me take you through Georgia versus Alabama. Oh Kirby Smart versus Nick Saban since 2017. Yeah. You get 2017, the national championship game. Bama, Georgia. Bama takes it 26 to 23 in overtime with Tua coming off the bench to right. win it for him. Yep. Then you get into the 2018 SEC championship game. I believe in this one, it was the other way around. I think Jalen Hurts came off the bench when Tua got injured. Yeah. Yeah. And won it for them 35 28. Right. Then we go into the 2020 regular season. Bama takes it 41-24. Right. Yep. And then the SEC championship, Bama takes it 21-24 this year. Their past two games have had the same score. <laughs> yeah. I. You think that this is – how can this not be on your mind if you're Kirby Smart? That you know that Nick Saban's your daddy, right, <laughs> in yeah. essence. Because you're on four against the guy. You're one of the guys who came from the Saban coaching tree, right? You and AM coach Jimbo Fisher, Lane Kiffin from Ole Miss now, Billy Napier, Mark D'Antonio, the longtime Michigan State coach, right? You guys are all from the tree of Saban. And who's he actually lost to? None of those guys, right? Uh, 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 uh. He lost oh, to Jimbo right. Fisher this year. Fisher. Let's right. go. Yeah, you're right. He did. But <laughs> in the biggest games that matter, it seems the one coach that can get there is Kirby Smart, and he's done hasn't been able to win it, right? It almost feels like, personally, I feel like it's going to be one day Kirby Smart's going to get it done, and the floodwaters are going to open. And Kirby Smart and Georgia is just going to dominate the NCAA for a good while after that. I mean, you'd like to think so, but there's always the shot that Alabama – gets better each year right yeah maybe this isn't their strongest year and probably if you talk to Saban he'd admit that privately if he was off the record this isn't his strongest team it's just not but you said you know the type of players they get there and I mean Georgia will have great players as well but you just it's one of those things where maybe it's just in my mind that Alabama beats Georgia and that's just how it is right yeah and maybe this game though if you can get that defense, that Georgia defense rolling the way it was, get I think the big key to this game is to get more pressure in Bryce Young's face if you can do it. Definitely. That's probably the way you're going to have to win this game. Because like we said, there's only so much you can do in your secondary to change when you have the same guys playing. But you're going to have to get pressure on Bryce Young and force him to make mistakes to take over this game. I'm going to throw a stat here at you about the Alabama reign and the Alabama dynasty here. Yeah. 
since 2009, Alabama has spent at least one week at number one in every season. Wild that they're, they've just been dominant in this league for so long, since 2009. Yeah, I think – I mean, even the teams, if they ever lose, they only lose to, like, the best teams, right? Yeah. Like, they lose, lost to that Zeke-led team at Ohio State in 2015. They lost to the LSU team in 2019 with Burrow and Jefferson, Chase, and those guys, right? They only get beat by literal teams that have NFL freaks – leading the team right they don't get beat by anybody else so it's it's a real testament to nick saban and to the recruiting part of them that they always are the best team in football definitely this is the most dominant dynasty in sports right is it the most dominant in history right you can make an argument for belichick and brady but I think the thing that's most impressive about this is that culture balls are revolving door. You don't have yeah. those stable pieces for more than usually three years, right? Yeah. It's continuing just to move on and move up and Saban moves with times and continues to make this crimson tide, the creme de la creme of the NCAA, right? Definitely. I think the question is coming up now and I, it's come up for the past few years is, does the Alabama reign need to end? Is it hurting college football? It's one of those things where I maybe it is hurting college football to a point because you get bored of seeing just Alabama win again and again. But it's also like if you're going to look at storyline purposes, when they do get beat, it is the biggest thing in sports, right? or when they're not there, or if they get knocked off ever in the semifinal or anything like that, it's such big news. It's such big business. Um, it'll be interesting to see if anything changes now, now that the pay, the players get paid and now that the transfer portal is so open, if maybe guys who don't think they're getting a fair shot until their senior year or their junior year decide to leave Alabama because the rules have changed and maybe that, dethrones the, the the championship kingdom a bit definitely could be a possibility um i think when you talk about it hurting the ncaa i think really where you got to look is kind of west coast you yeah. see teams like ucla and all those other teams in the pac-12 there that their their conferences become irrelevant because even if you somehow get a play, a team in the playoff well, they're going to lose to Georgia or Alabama yeah. or LSU or whichever SEC team is there that year. Yeah. So it's it's a one-conference league right now. Um, the playoff is helping those teams at least play meaningful games. The expansion of the playoffs will at least help those more teams play meaningful games. It would be interesting if you look at the, the bowl games from this year. Say you had a 12-team playoff and you see – Purdue and Pitt and Oregon and Oklahoma all have meaningful games yeah. in this bowl season. That would be amazing. Ohio State, Utah, right? They can have yeah. meaningful games this time. Yeah, exactly. Now you're still going to have to blow it eventually when you got to play Alabama, but at least you're playing a hard nosed, awesome game for the right to play Alabama. Right. Yeah. I mean, but then it just goes back to 
maybe that's not all Alabama and it's more SEC, right? Yeah. And just that the best talent for football primarily is in the South. And all those South guys want to go to the teams in the SEC, right? There's maybe not really a way to fix that besides that these other teams somehow need to get an edge or need to get more money to pay these players, to bring them into the Pac-12 to make the Pac-12 a better unit, right? Like I said, I mean, I heard an argument that when you think about some of these teams, not a lot of the SEC teams produce consistently top quarterbacks. And really, it took Alabama a long time to start producing them like they have in the last little bit, Yeah, if we're going to be honest about it. And the one guy who really produces guys, and you've seen guys go to Oklahoma to work with them, is Lincoln Riley. Oh, yeah. Lincoln Riley now is at at, uh, South Carolina or California, right? Yeah, USC. USC. And they're a Pac-12 team. So if you see elite quarterbacks going to the Pac-12, that could be a, a good step in the in the right direction to get the Pac-12 back on course. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. When you talk about the dominance in the South, well, you can look at the the 2022 recruiting ranks right now. Number one, Gigum, Texas A&M. Let's go. Two, Alabama. Three, Georgia. Once you get to four, you get Ohio State. That is three top SEC teams taking all almost all the five-star recruits. A&M has six five-star recruits. Alabama has three. Georgia has five. Ohio State has two. Right. And they're in fourth. Yeah, and that's that goes to show you, though, right? That's why Ohio State's really been the one outlier team that always kind of makes it for the most part yeah. is because of that, because they've developed into this big, powerful school. But really, they're the only one besides you get the occasional – Notre Dame resurgence, but yeah. even then, their their coach left, right? Their yeah. coach came to the SEC too. He's at LSU now, so I mean, it's just more power to the SEC. And like, hey, I understand that it's a monopoly, and I understand that, but something's gonna have to change from the top down if you want to stop this, I guess. Definitely, but as it stands right now in the state of college football, we have the two te- best teams in the national championship. I I don't know. I've been going back and forth on this game all week. I really don't know how it's going to shake down. I feel like not Georgia not having to play John Mechie is a huge factor. I feel like just the, the, the entire history of Alabama versus Georgia, Georgia not winning a, ni- a national championship since I think 1980. Like it's, it's got to play a factor here, but I don't know how much. See, that's the thing is like, without John Meshi, you have to see a guy like, because we know James and Williams is good and he's yes. going to contribute to this. A guy like Slay Bolton has stepped up a bit for the Crimson mm-hmm. Tide and he's going to need to continue to step up because you know for a fact, you're not going to get the performance you got from Brian Robinson against this Georgia defense, right? No. Not going to happen. Georgia's too good up front. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So what you really need is you need to get pressure on Bryce Young and Bryce Young needs to get to his playmakers those guys I mentioned yeah that's how you're gonna have to do it and if Georgia on the back end can hold up this defense has a real shot right I think the interesting thing for me to see more than anything else because you know that the Alabama offense on the Georgia defense is strength on strength but for me it's gonna see it's gonna be um if Georgia is gonna be able to keep Stenson Bennett upright and if Stenson Bennett can repeat that 300-yard type performance where he broke out and proved himself like he did against Michigan, if he can do that against Alabama, I really like their chances. 
but we haven't seen that all year from him. So it's a big concern. It is a big concern. Um, Jeez. Yeah. Do we got to pick this thing now? I guess we do, right? Oh, I still don't know where I'm going. Uh, For those listening to you, if you listened last week, um, our founding father, Kalen McFadden Carver, was with us last week. Couldn't make it to the, the recording this week. So we will get his pick from him as well. We'll put it on our socials as long as mine and Dave's picks. Currently, the line for this one sitting at minus two and a half for Georgia. Um, Georgia's the favorite? Georgia is the favorite. Shit, hey? Yeah. Uh, Over-under is up 52. Uh, I mean, I could see going under, honestly. Oh, I, I would probably pick it to go under. But, Dave, yeah. I need your team, and I need your score. Who's going to be the national champion? I'm, I'm going to buy into it one time. I'm going to buy into it. I'm going to pick Georgia. I'm going to pick that Stenson Bennett does enough to win that game, that they can somehow figure out that Alabama defense a bit and that more than anything, that Georgia defense shows why they're the best defense in college football, one of the best ever in history this year. They force some mistakes and they get the win. I'm going to pick Georgia to win 27-24. Oh, I like it. Nice, tight game. Yeah. Well, Dave, I'm with you. Yep. I think not having John Mechie in the lineup is a huge factor. I don't know if guys are going to pick up for him. A guy like Ja'Cory Brooks did last week, but I don't know if he's going to do that again. I think this defense is – this is the best shot Kirby Smart has at beating Nick yeah. Saban. If yeah. – Kirby Smart does not beat Nick Saban in this championship game. I will never pick Kirby Smart to beat Nick Saban for the rest of my life. But I will take Georgia. I'm going to say the final score will be 24-17. Yeah. Yeah, We're both saying the same thing, right? It just feels like on the back of this defense, that's really just been an outlier, unbelievable defense that if – if Kirby Smart's the coach we think he is, this is the year to get it done. The dam's going to break. Something's got to give. And like I said, I it's, it's tough to pick against Alabama, but I feel like this Georgia team has the right stuff. I do too. Um, yeah, I think we got a good game ahead of us, no matter what it's going to be. Um, if it's going to be Georgia, if it's going to be Alabama, this game kicks off on Monday January 10th at 7 p.m. Central Time should be a good one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my foot, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put myself forward, and I'm going to make a claim that you made last week. This game will not be a blowout. I, no. I just don't see this game being a blowout after. I think the thing is, like, maybe it wasn't as close the first time, but I think Georgia learned a lot about Alabama in that game, and they're going to come in with a lot to prove, right? Whereas maybe Alabama doesn't feel like they have as much to prove. They already beat them. They're the reigning national champs. I just feel this game's going to be really close for how good these teams are. And I don't think Bryce Young is going to take it over the same way because Georgia learned their lesson. I think so too. I think Georgia learned, Georgia was riding such a high. They were, were the king 
crown us the national champs right now. And then it all came tumbling down when they put up or they let up 41 points to Alabama and reality stepped in. They were the wounded dog heading into Michigan. Michigan was the, took over that crown and were all hyped up after finally beating Ohio state. And that wounded dog put those champs in their place. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it feels like, Alabama's kind of you if you're Alabama I don't know how you don't feel you're just same business as always right whereas Georgia you you know they took that loss personally they you know they took falling to number three personally you know they took people like us saying it's going to be a close game with Michigan Michigan could probably win you know they took that personally and from Kirby Smart down to the players you know this is personal and they need to get this done against Alabama I think they do I think that about wraps it up for this edition of the Booth Podcast. Got any closing thoughts here, Dave? Uh, no, Matt. It's just it's it's exciting to see a national title game. I know, okay, FCC, I know best two teams, but it's the two teams. It's a lot of guys we're going to see in the NFL draft this coming up year. It's a lot of good, strong defensive players that I like to watch, and I can't wait for the game. Hope everybody enjoys it. Yep. Stay tuned to the booth. We'll be recapping this game next week. Early next week, we'll put a put out an episode recapping the national championship and what should be a good one. Uh, all excited here at the booth. Stay tuned for more content. We got our NFL show coming out. Uh, great time for NFL football, getting ready for the playoffs here. The first ever week 18 coming up this week. Excited for that. Um, as always, Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the booth EC. Go buy your merch. Keep it locked on the merch store. We'll have new stuff coming out over the next few days. We'll be putting a few new items up on there. Put it on the socials too so you can get an early look at it. Like, share, subscribe to the podcast. All the all everything you can do. We appreciate it. We love the support. As always, I've been rich. He's been Dave. This has been the Booth Podcast. Signing off. We'll talk to you next week, recapping a great national championship game.